and as tough as they have been, it doesn't keep us from hoping that things in the future can be better. And again, naturally, when we start to feel good uh, and positive about some of the things that we can't control, uh, then naturally it starts to make us feel really good and the future is more desirable uh, for us individually when it comes to the things that we can control. But for some of us, I said last week, the thing that's standing in the way of that better future, that more desirable future, is our past. So many of us hold on to the past, that seemingly unforgettable past. Again, think about it this morning, and have you ever wondered why you make those resolutions, you resolve to have things in your life to be different, to change, and you look at your life as you're a little further down the road, and the things that you made those resolutions to change, they, they haven't changed at all. I mean, have you ever asked yourself the question, why you keep making the same mistakes again and again and again and over and over and over? Have you ever wondered why you have difficulty maintaining healthy relationships with other people? Well, the truth is this. I mean, again, it's, it's not rocket science. If you haven't dealt with the past, if you haven't dealt with the hurt that's a part of your past, then it's going to continue to impact everything about your life, every, everything that you touch. And here's the way I said it last weekend. If we don't learn to transform the pain, then you're just going to transfer the pain. Your past isn't your past if it's still impacting the present. Now, it's interesting because as Christians, we spend most of our time, once we make a, a profession of faith following Jesus and say, this is, this is who we are, this is, this is us now, we, we pretend like everything in our life is okay. And people ask us, and I referred to this last week, people ask us how we're doing, and we always say, I'm fine. But deep down inside, the thing that we know is that we're not fine. That simply isn't true. We're not fine at all. Because deep down inside, because of the things that are a part of our past, we're hurting, and we're lonely, and we're confused, and we're frightened. You know, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that when Adam and Eve did the very thing that God had asked them not to do, they rebelled against God. But then after that, they took leaves and they made masks to cover the shame and the guilt that were now a part of who they were. And, and I think that's us. Just like Adam and Eve, we live our lives. And we want to shake off those feelings of guilt and shame by covering up the mistakes and the misfortunes that have become a part of our lives. But here's something that I think is so important to remember. The thing that you need to remember is from that very moment that humanity, Adam and Eve, fell into sin. From that very moment that Adam and Eve fell into sin, God's plan and God's passion was to restore and redeem us to the life for which we were created. 
God wants to redeem you. God wants to restore you. And listen to me this morning. That very act, that act of grace, that act of forgiveness, that act of restoration that God wants to give, it's not something that can be forced on you. Like anything from God, it must be received as a gift. It must be received freely, willfully, and intentionally. I want to go back and look at at Genesis chapter 3, the same same thing that we looked at last week. And if you will look behind me, it should be on the screen. Here's what it says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. It says, at that very moment, at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Adam and Eve sinned against God by doing the very thing that God asked them not to do. And that was eating from the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. And again, look at at the verse behind me because since last Sunday, I've given a good bit of thought to that verse that you see. And there are a couple of things out of that verse that I think you need to see because those things, to me, are very important. The thing that you see, and we're going to leave it up there just a second, the thing that you you see is that if we do the sinning, if I'm the one who commits the sin, if you're the one who commits the sin, then our response to that sin is, is guilt. You feel guilty about the sin that you've committed. But if someone does the sinning against us, the response is hurt. Guilt if I do the sinning, but hurt if the sinning is done against me. And what does that say? It says that when sin is involved... There's guilt and there's hurt. And I think it's important to understand that God designed those two responses to tell us that something wrong has happened. God designed those responses to to help us understand that that something has just gotten fractured. There's something in your life that needs healing. Because I think that most of us would admit over time that guilt and hurt will do lots of damage. Guilt and hurt are devastating patterns that over time, those things will morph into blame and shame and fear and denial and anger. That's that's simply what will happen over time. But there's good news. And that good news is what we talked about last week. The good news is that we can stop the damage at any time by supplying God's resources and God's power. 
And the first step is something that we looked at last week. It's confession. I, I, we're going to put this up there so you can see it again. It's, it's worded a little bit different than what it was last week. But here's my definition. Of con, uh, uh, here's what I want you to understand or kind of my definition of confession. Confession, it's not something that we do. It's not something about our sin. It's not something that we do about our sin. But it's admitting that we can't do anything about our sin. That's what confession is. Confession is you just taking the time to admit that you're like me and you're a sinner. And in your power, like me, there's absolutely nothing that you can do about that. So here's what the thing I want you to see. Our confession takes a pivotal place. And once we get to that pivotal place, there are two distinct paths that are part of what I like to call the so-called Christian life. Now, let, me, let, me, let me show you the first path. Here, here's the first path. The first path is pleasing God. The first path is pleasing God, working on my sin. Look, 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 look there behind me. We think that... W- that if we truly want to achieve an intimate relationship with God, then we think that it's all about us doing the work on our sin. Then we will work on our sin. Now think about that. Working on my sin. That sounds really Christian, doesn't it? I'm going to sell out, fire up, shape up, do whatever I have to do, to work on the sin that's a part of my life. But here's the thing. If that's the path that you choose, then over time, let me tell you, that path is going to wear, wear you out. And not only is it going to wear you out, you're going to get cynical and you're going to get tired. Let me give you some of the characteristics of that path that you see behind me. That's a path that is characterized By self, by self-effort. My goal in life, my focus in life, is to live my life and sin less. That's path number one. Here's path number two. Look at path number two. Path number two is trusting God. Trusting God with my sin. That, that is path number two. The second path is just this. It's, it's me living out my life, living out who God says that I am. So there's this path of trusting God. But here's the thing. That, that's not the path that most people want to take. Because listen, listen to me this morning. That path seems to most of you to be far less heroic than that first path. I I want you to look at a a verse from Hebrews this morning. And and it's a verse that many of you know. It's a Hebrews 11, verse 6. Here's what it says. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, look look, look at that verse. Leave, Leave it up there just a minute. 
Do you see those two paths in that verse? Did you notice? Look at what it says. That trusting God pleases God. Faith is trust. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. If our primary motive is pleasing God, listen, we will never do enough. We will never please Him enough. And in all that trying to please, we will never learn to trust. That's why that first path, that first path to all my striving, my effort, my ability to make something happen, that first road, that, that, that's what that's all about. But if your primary motive is trusting God, then what we find out is that God is incredibly pleased with us. So the thing that I want to communicate to you this morning is something that I, I think is so important for us to understand. Uh, again, look, look at it with me. Pleasing God is actually a byproduct of trusting God. But see, here's the thing. So many of you right in this room right now and those listening online wrestle with this. I mean, so many of you came to Crossroads this morning on Labor Day weekend, and this is something that you wrestle with. But it's not new. Because the thing I want you to understand this morning is this is the very thing that the New Testament church itself wrestled with. As a matter of fact, much of the Apostle Paul's writing in the New Testament is an attempt to address this very issue within the church. So this morning, I want us to look at Galatians chapter 2. But before we do, I, I want to give you a little background so that we really understand this going forward. You see, the thing that was happening in that culture was that the Gentiles were being forced to live like Jews in order to be acceptable to the Jews. Behind this social crisis, however, there was a more fundamental theological issue that was at stake. And, and I'm going to put it up there so that, so that you can see it. I want you to see it. And here's that, that kind of that theological fundamental issue that was at stake. L look at it with me. Is the truth of the gospel... Or is the law the basis for determining fellowship between Jewish and Gentile Christians? That was the debate. Is it the gospel or is it the law? And again, here's the thing. When you investigate this, you really start to see that the early Jewish Christians had created this kind of equation that I think for most of the church today, this actual equation still exists today, and it was something that was 
it, it really comes out of the early New Testament church. So I'm going to put it behind me for you to see because this is the way that many people right now in this church are living their life. Here's the equation. More right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. Most people can identify with that. I mean, let's look at it. If I do more right things in the eyes of God and less wrong things, again, in God's eyes, then naturally we think we're living a godly life. Or we think that equals godliness. If I go out today and I do more right things than I do wrong things, then naturally most of you in this room think that that equals godliness. More right versus less wrong equals godliness. That's the equation that originated out of the early New Testament church. And that very equation is still prevalent in this church today. As we live our lives thinking, I'll do more right than wrong, and God will see me as a godly person, as a godly Christian. But we have to understand, if that's our theology, then that theology or that line of thinking comes with a problem. Because you see, that, that equation that you see behind me, or that way of life, that equation sets you up to fail. And not only does it set you up to fail, but it also sets you up to live a life of hypocrisy. If we are determined to live our life trying to please God, then it traps us in a formula that will leave us feeling exhausted and fake. And even if we do experience a little bit of success, then we will become prideful and judgmental. Let, let, let's look at Galatians 2. And, and for those that may be wondering, I'm going to read this from the message. Here's what it says. We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. We had the best system of rules that the world has ever seen. That's the law. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. That, that's pleasing. Have some of you noticed that we're not yet perfect? No great surprise there, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me 
who go through Christ in order to get things right with God aren't perfectly virtuous. Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin. The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, look at what he says. I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down. I would be acting as a charlatan. Can I, can I just say this and you not take offense to this this morning? Some of you this morning that are listening to me, watching me right here in this room, you've spent your entire Christian life trying to rebuild the same old barn. Because you've placed all your efforts, listen to me, listen, in trying to be good. And if you're trying to be good, you're rebuilding the same old barn. Because pleasing God is a great longing. But listen to me this morning, it cannot be our primary motivation. Because if it is, it will imprison our hearts. But when our motive is trusting God, our focus is then to live out the person that God says I am. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, you have received a new heart. You have a new identity. You have a new identity. You have been changed as a follower. of. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a new identity. You have been changed. And now, listen to me. Listen, some of you have never heard it like this. Now you get to mature into who you already are. Let's look a little further down. Galatians chapter 6. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen right there? Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Paul is saying, can you see it? Can you see the central issue? Because the central issue is not about a list of rules. 
You can't achieve godliness through striving. Because listen to me, Crossroads, when it comes to sin, you're no match against sin. It's not work a little harder. It's not do a little more. The central issue is what God is doing. What counts is the inward transformation that He alone can do in our hearts. And see, here's what my temptation is. I mean, let me tell you, I'm, 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 I'm terrible. But here's the way I look at my life. I'm about three issues away from being used by God, you know? If I can just deal with those three issues, then I'm going to be used by God in a big way. So I'm just going to list my, not for you, I'm going to list my three issues. And I'm going to try to solve those issues. But the reality is this. I'll never solve my issues. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Look look behind me. Look at the screen behind me. Intention not to sin is not the same, come on now, as the power not to sin. Attention not to sin is not the same as the power not to sin. In fact, I kind of hope you're like me and you never solve your issues. Because if you could solve your issues, then you would become self-sufficient. And see, the goal of spiritual maturity is not to get all your issues solved. Because listen to me, you never will. The goal is to depend. Listen, the goal is to trust God. Trust what God says is true about you. So that together, you and God can begin to deal with your stuff. Listen to me this morning. You will not know God's power until you give up on your own power. You'll never know God's power until you give up your own power. Which is actually no power at all. Let's think about it this way. In in this life, those of us who have trusted Christ will still have sin issues. And then we're also going to have the identity that God has given us. Those just things, those are just constants. Those things are unchanging realities. But let, let, me, let me show you two realities. And again, I, I don't know how they did this. I don't know if we can get this on the screen at the same time. But here's the first reality. Here's the first reality. Look at the first reality. The first reality is pleasing God. Working on my sin issues. Here's the other reality. The other reality is trusting God. 
Trusting who God says that I am. Jeanette, go back to the first one. Now go to the second one. It's key to ask yourself, which one of those two, I don't know if I want to call them, which one of these two constants defines your, your life's focus? Go, go back, Jeanette. Is it pleasing God? Or the next one? Is it trusting God? Which one of those? Which one of those constants defines your focus in life? Which one of those two offers hope of experiencing the other one? See, if you opt for pleasing God, put that one up there, Jeanette. If you opt for pleasing God, you're never going to experience the next one. But if you focus with, on trusting God, you will experience unparalleled transformation regarding your sin issues. So are you starting to understand why trusting God is so important? To resolve our sin issues, we must begin trusting in who God says that we are. God, not, God did not design us To conquer our own sin. See, see, one of the one of the biggest challenges or problems in Christianity today is that so many people who are Christians see sin, their sin, as this gigantic cavern that just separates them between them and God. It's just there between, it's, it's just this, it's just their sin is creating distance between them and God. So, so with that in mind, <clears throat> I want to show you one of the biggest misconceptions in Christianity today. And, and here it is. We believe God loves us, but we also believe that God is very disappointed in us. That our imperfections, that our sin is creating this growing gap in our relationship with Christ. And again, there's an illustration. I, I, I'm not, I wasn't even going to attempt to. I, I'm terrible at drawing, but I'm going to kind of show you this. And, and again, I've used this. Everybody's used this. It's not new. Okay, there's going to be no big revelation here. This is not what's behind door number three. You've seen this before, okay? So again, I just drew it yesterday. I thought I'm going to use it again. I've used it before. Here you go. <clears throat> We're over here, and God's over there. People will say, that you're standing on a cliff. And on the other side of the cliff, there's somebody that I want, I, I want to see, and that other person on the other side is God. But there's no way for me to get to the other side. 
Because sin separates me from God. You can yell back and forth, and if you're yelling back and forth at God, that is a deeply unsatisfying relationship. The abyss, which is here, represents sin. So the question is, how do you get to him? If you're over here and God's over there, how do you get to him? The answer to the question, how do I get to him? The answer is that you don't get to him. Not unless you can find some way to remove the sin from your life. But the last time I checked, you guys are human just like me. So not only can you not do anything about the sin that you've already committed... You're just like me, and you're actually contributing contributing to this gap on a daily basis. This is an accurate picture of someone who doesn't have life in Christ. But this illustration makes no sense if you're a Christian. And yet, this is exactly the way that many followers of Jesus are living their life. So many people are living their life as a Christian as if this cavern separates them from God. And they feel distant from Him. And they live their life, listen to me this morning, as if their salvation has never taken place. But listen... If you have been saved, you now have Christ in you. It's not God on one side and you on the other side. It's not like you and God are staring at this gap saying, well, I don't know, what are we going to do? Let me, let me propose something. What what if we stood in front of our sin, taking full responsibility, but realizing we have Christ in us, who we are trusting for the provision of the sin that we've already committed? What if we truly believed We were without condemnation. What if if grace really was that strong? There's a a book that was written back in 2003, a book called True Faced. And in this book, the authors talk about something they call the New Testament gamble. I know that's kind of weird to be in a church talking about gambling, right? Uh, 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 again, it's kind of like oil and water when you talk about gambling and in the church. But, you know, I mean, hey, this is Crossroads. We can kind of move on. You know what I'm saying? But, but in this New Testament gamble, what God does is that God essentially shows his hand, his cards. In essence, what God does is God says, what if? 
What if I take away any element of fear or condemnation or judgment or rejection? What if I tell them I love them? And listen, I will always love them. That there's nothing that they can do. Nothing that you can do to make his love go away. What if I was to tell them there are no lists? There are no rules. What what if I were to tell them to to stop beating themselves up? What What if I told them that I was crazy about them? What if I told them that I actually live in them now? What if I told them I put my love and power inside of them? What if I told them that they don't have to put on a mask, but that it's okay to be who they are in the moment, even with all their junk? What if they were convinced? Now listen to what I'm saying, because some of you need to hear this. What if they were convinced that bad circumstances in their life aren't my way of getting even for them taking advantage of me. What if I told them that even if they run as far away from me as one end of the earth is to the other and they go to the end of the earth and they do unthinkable things that they can come back to me and I will welcome them with tears. And I'll throw a huge party. What if? To close today, I'm going to close with a question. Because this is what I want you to think about. And here's the question. Are you going to work on your sin issues? Or are you going to trust God with your sin issue? Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, for many of us, the thing that you're wanting to do in our lives is a new thing. Because we've been trying to keep the list of the rules and and, and do all the right things. If I can just do more good than I do bad, then, then I'm living a godly life. But God, that's not what you desire for us. That's not what you want for us. This morning, God, you're saying, what if? And you showed us all the cards. And now it's up to us. Are we going to try to please you or are we going to trust you? That's really what it comes down to. Are you going to trust God with your sin issues? Ask yourself the question. Come up with the answer and realize that God wants the best for you.
He wants to do something new in you this morning. As we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet.